And we're back on Max and Murphy at WBAI 99.5 FM. You just heard us speak with Benjamin Yee, a candidate for public advocate. And we are now going to go directly to our second guest, another candidate for public advocate. This is Jared Rich. Hi, welcome to Max and Murphy. Guys, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Good to talk with you, Jared. It's a pleasure. Uh, Why don't you uh, give us your quick kind of elevator speech introduction? Who are you? Where do you come from? And why are you running for public advocate? The quick spiel is I'm Jared Rich. I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn born and raised. Uh, Both of my parents are New York City public school teachers, now retired. My brother's a New York City public school teacher, all in Brooklyn. I'm the product of the New York City public schools. I went to University of Maryland, got a government and politics degree, came back home, and got a law degree from Brooklyn Law School. Uh, Married. I have two young sons. One's going to be three next month. One's going to be two in June. I live in Borough Hill, Brooklyn, with my wife and my kids. I'm a lawyer. I work for myself for the last 10 years. I've had my own law practice. It's me, my cell phone, and my computer and printer representing all communities throughout all of New York City in multiple courts, many issues, housing-based issues, real estate-based issues. I'm the people's lawyer. I am the public advocate. I'm the people's lawyer. I have not spent one penny on advertising for 10 years, and I've had a thriving business where I could feed my family strictly on word of mouth because I deliver results. And as public advocate, I plan to deliver results. Take us take, uh, take us inside that decision-making process then. You uh, have been an attorney. You're working for yourself. Uh, you're doing well enough to support yourself, your family, as you said. This public advocate vacancy is coming up or occurs, and you decide to jump into running for office. Uh, tell us a little bit about making that decision, why you made it, uh, and, and why you did it now. This is something that has been a dream of mine, running for office, and a goal of mine since I'm a teenager. I did get a government and politics degree for a reason. That was an interest of mine. I got a law degree for a reason. I knew I wasn't ready to actually hold office. I needed more experience. I needed to work more, really get out there and get experience. And now I believe I'm ready. Literally seven weeks ago, I was just reading an article about this election. I wasn't really paying attention. And I saw about this election. And I thought about it, and I thought about it overnight and two nights, and I spoke to my wife, and I said, there's, there's special factors in this election. I really think this is a winnable election. This is, this is a, there's some way for me to jump in here and actually win. So I became my own election lawyer. I figured out everything. I did my own petitioning drive. We hustled, 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 and got on the ballot. Um, it, it's really, I believe this is a special election. It's not just called a special election. I think there's really special factors that someone off the streets is going to be able to come in here and actually make people believe that there's an alternative that they're looking for is actually running in this election. So on the theme of picking battles, I was looking at your website earlier today, and you mentioned there that if you had been public advocate when Jasmine Headley was arrested, that's the young woman who was arrested in that harrowing video involving her young son in a Brooklyn HRA office, you wouldn't have waited for answers, you would have gone down and you would have you know, stayed with her until she was released. As a private lawyer working by word of mouth, one could see doing that. When you're a public advocate, you'll have 8 million plus constituents and an office that's not that large. How will you pick your battles? How will you be able to decide when your personal involvement is necessary and when you uh, you can't do that? That 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 might be a difficult transition for someone coming from the background. Absolutely, you and it is a good question. I've thought about that. And you know, Jasmine Headley was right around the time that I was reading about this election and deciding it. 
and it's, 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 it was a tragedy. She was in jail for five days for sitting down on the floor. She was in Rikers Island for five days. Now, the city charter says, in addition to other duties and responsibilities, the public advocate shall serve as the public advocate. And I'm going to run with that clause right there to mean that if it is a situation like this where it's blowing up on Twitter and there's video of this ridiculous situation, then that's the type of thing that I'll have to jump on. And I understand you can't jump on every single thing. And as we go along, we'll do as much as we can. The city charter also says, and I haven't heard any of my opponents talk about this, that the public advocate can appoint two other public advocates to act in their place. And I intend to do that. I intend to have somebody who leans to the left of me and someone who leans to the right of me. So we have a whole team of public advocates and communication of all ideas, and, and we'll be in three boroughs at once every day. So say a little bit more about what you'd focus on as public advocate, how you set up the office. You just indicated having perhaps a couple of uh, top deputy public advocates. But um, what- There's going to be two deputy public advocates, but there's also – I have an army of lawyers that are salivating at the mouth at the opportunity when I'm elected – that they're going to be coming in of counsel to me as the public advocate and working for pretty cheap to investigate and uncover all the corruption that exists. And these are these are attorneys that you know from your work? Over the last 10 years, I've really developed a pretty good reputation. I'm the guy who went out on his own at, at age of 30 and really put together a pretty successful law practice where I go up, you know, all of my adversaries, I wouldn't say all, 95% of my adversaries, once we have a case, we become friends. There's mutual respect as attorneys. And the people that I'm talking to about this, they all want this opportunity to jump in here. There's a lot of people that are very upset with the way government is run. And I really believe I represent that. And I want to give a voice to those New Yorkers. And from your, va- and from your vantage point, what are a couple of the examples of things that you think are way off the rails here? One thing... And one of my, I'm a public school guy, and I believe, and I really believe, and I don't understand how this is not the policy, public policy, every single public school should be a great school. We shouldn't have all these kids that are just the unlucky kids who didn't get picked to go into a special school or a charter school. And all those good schools, charter schools are great. They're giving good education. But what about the rest of the kids? So right now in New York City, there's two major sources of revenue that we think are coming up, congestion pricing money and marijuana money. And all I hear about is all that money going to the trains. And I want to be the guy who's going to stick up there for the kids and say this money should be going to the schools, especially the marijuana money. And with the marijuana legislation, I want to make sure that somebody is keeping it under control and not just forcing this in. I don't hear anyone talking about keeping every 14-year-old on the streets from being stoned all day long. And I don't hear anyone talking about the edibles, which is a really dangerous thing. You know, if you know about the edibles, the edible uh, marijuana, I'm saying, basically brownies and cookies and everything a kid wants. And if we're not going to treat that stuff like it's ammunition, then we're going to have problems in the city. Jared, uh, I, I know that you, you know it's it's really inappropriate to judge a candidate by how much money they've raised, and it's too bad that that is often the criteria for participation in debates. But it, folks have made a point to me over the years that that there is something to be said for what fundraising says about a politician's ability to uh, organize, to to generate some consensus, to get some some people behind them, because that then in turn gives their work power, and it's especially important for public advocates to 
make sure they have, you know, they maintain and build their own bully pulpit because the office doesn't have that much kind of inherent power. You've raised under six grand, 3,000 of that is your money. Someone looking at that might say, you know, does this guy have what it takes to to take the office of public advocate and make it as valuable as it as it could be? What do you think, What if, if you were a voter looking at your fundraising totals, what message do you think that conveys? This is what the message has to be. They called this election on January 2nd. By January 21st, those are the numbers that I have. There's some more than that. There'll be more by the next disclosure. I got on the ballot by spending $2,500 on my petitioning. You look at my opponents, they spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 when you look at the petitioning and the election lawyers and all the nonsense. I, I kept, I streamlined it. I got it done for $2,500. What percent? Give me a $3 million budget and watch what I could do. That's my point. <laughs> what what per- There's been many forums and debates around the city um, of the number, you know, whatever number it is that have been held, about how many would you say you, you've been to? I think tonight's going to be my seventh. This will be my fourth night in a row. Tomorrow will be my fifth night in a row. I think there'll be another seven, eight, nine before Election Day. Uh-huh. I'm hitting the circuit heavy. And so uh, that sounds like you've missed a bunch of them, though. At the beginning, I definitely missed. In December, I didn't hit. But mm. since January has come, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much in there. And tell us a little bit about... Um, you know, how, how, how has that been interesting? You know, first time running for this is your first time running for office, correct? First time running for office. First time or running for office. Has anything surprised you about those events, about the reception you've gotten, or about the other candidates and how they've approached them? What's what's been uh, interesting or eye opening to you? I'm really doing this. It's trial by fire for me. I've never done anything like this. It's now my sixth time last night. I believe I captured the hearts and the minds of every single person that was in the room. I believe I was the real candidate that they were looking for. Now, I still have a, there's a barrier that I have to break where people are looking at, you know, 11, 12 names that they know and they hear. And who am I? But we still have time to get through because I think the people believe that I am the actual best candidate. And I believe I'm the actual best candidate. I'm the most qualified person to be the public advocate. I am the people's lawyer. And that's what the people need. Since you're a native, and I'm assuming you're older than 25, it means you've uh, seen all the public advocates to this point, you know, do their thing and and put their stamp in the office. Thing? No one knows what that thing is. That's well, part of the problem. Here. Well, so talk about that. Do you do you when you look at your who would be your forerunners in this job? Uh, do any of them hold up an example of, of anything that you would emulate? Uh, does anyone stick out in your mind as having been the most I effective like that public Letitia advocate? James was trying to commence litigation, and I'm going to be commencing litigation, and we'll run with that. Um, it's still debatable, I believe, uh, whether the public advocate can even do that. I will be introducing legislation. But mostly you're looking at people sitting in this office as a stepping stone. And that's what it has been. But it's a public advocate. It should be a, a man or a woman of the people to represent the people. So in our last minute here, Jared Rich uh, running for public advocate in the special election uh, happening February 26th. Uh, speaking of one of those people who's certainly used the public advocate's office as a stepping stone to another office, the mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio. What's your assessment of his mayorality? Uh, he's now in year six. If you are victorious in the special election, one of your tasks would be to hold him and his administration accountable. What's your general take on Bill de Blasio as mayor? 
I don't agree with everything he's done. I believe that universal pre-K is a tremendous, tremendous thing that he did, and I'm going to get to take advantage of that for my kids very shortly. But my general theory on dealing with people is I'm not here to build walls. I'm here to build bridges. I want to get things done. So I'll hold the mayor accountable where he needs to be held accountable, but I want to work with the mayor to get things done. And I think part of the problem in politics right now is you have, especially in New York State, a governor and a, and a mayor who hate each other, and, and then nothing gets done because of that. I don't want to have any of these personality conflicts with people. I want to just work with people and get things done. But this is a common ground to get things done. Well, Jared Rich, candidate for public advocate, we appreciate you joining us here on WBAI. I'm Max Murphy, and we will look for you on the campaign trail. Good luck the rest of the way. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I'll talk to you soon. All the best. And you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. We are most of the way through our hour here every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on WBAI. And a reminder, tomorrow at 5 p.m. to tune in to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. We are partnering with them to interview all the public advocate candidates so that you are ready to vote on February 26th. We've already interviewed a series of candidates over the last several weeks, as you probably know if you're a regular listener. And we've talked with two so far today, Ben Yee and Jared Rich. So, Jared, uh, any thoughts on the two interviews we just had with Ben Yee and Jared Rich? A couple different characters, different backgrounds, slightly different approaches. They are certainly sort of on the outside looking in, especially with regard to the debate that's coming up. Thoughts on what we heard? Well, that is exactly what struck me is that they're, you know, we would consider them both outsiders. And this is a race featuring several members of the assembly, sitting council members. Members, uh, one of whom ran for lieutenant governor, a former speaker of the uh, city council. And yet you have folks who stand outside of that, but they represent very different forms of being outside. You know, he has been involved in trying to reshape democratic politics. He worked for Obama. Jared Rich obviously comes as someone who is a political neophyte in the truest sense. And so, you know, it's interesting. The world, the word outsider is one that candidates love to, to take on, a mantle they love to take on. Um, but this is indicative of the fact that that can mean a lot of different things. And I think, you know, special elections get a lot of a lot of guff. Uh, and obviously this one could produce a result that's a little confusing and maybe not reflective of what the full electorate thinks, but uh, in the sense of someone being elected with a relatively small percentage of votes. But it's a very diverse field in every sense, including what it means to be uh, an outsider and, and try to come to this job, which, you know, you could say is kind of like a, a good outsider's job job in government because you're supposed to be a gadfly and an ombudsperson and ask difficult questions and stand up for the little person. And I suppose that's a good thing for an outsider to do. It's a very interesting race. And, you know, in, in one sense, it's good to see a bunch of people of different backgrounds jump into a race, an election. You know, I don't know if holding a citywide position is really the first political office that somebody should hold. You know, I think there's different ways of viewing that. It obviously also 
depends on what your resume is coming in. There's a big difference between handing any of these offices to someone who's got vast experience, just not an elected office versus limited experience in you know management or advocacy or government or whatever it might be. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see this field. You know, it's it's good in a sense that it's been narrowed a bit. You know, at a couple of the forums that I've moderated and some other things that I've tuned into, you know, there were a few candidates there that really distracted from a more substantive discussion. Um, so hopefully at some of these forums and certainly in the two televised debates, we should have some pretty good substantive discussion. Um, you know, Ben Yi is an interesting candidate, an interesting player in the scene, because as I indicated in the final question, he indicated with talking about his resume, you know, this is someone who's been in politics, but also about civic engagement. He's worked very hard at engaging people to run for county committee, which is something most New Yorkers still, I'm sure, don't know exists. Um, you know, and he'd be a very interesting person if he's not victorious in this race, which obviously the odds are against him, for the next public advocate to look at to potentially bring into the office. I don't know if he'd be interested in that, but the type of civic engagement that he's talking about and the work that he's done, you know, it's interesting to hear someone like that jump into a race and, and talk about that work. And Jared Rich, you know, doing the type of legal work he says he's done you know, again, is the type of work that, you know, has lent itself at least for Letitia James to how, you know, she's tried to use the office as a bit of a, a law firm. So, you know, interesting to see people with different backgrounds jump into the political sphere, you know, it'd be interesting to see someone like Jared Rich perhaps run for a local city council seat or something like that next time around now that he's maybe got the bug. So a couple of minutes left here on Max and Murphy. Uh, some of the questions we didn't get to earlier. Interesting story this week is this little feud brewing between between Archbishop Timothy Dolan, uh, Cardinal Dolan, and uh, Governor Cuomo over the Child Victims Act and the Reproductive Health Act. Question to you, Ben. Uh, does that feud hold any danger for the governor? Is that going to fester? And does that, uh, does that pose some sort of threat to him? I don't think so. Um, you know, there are certainly some controversial stances and statements that the governor has made over his tenure. Um, you know, perhaps this will be marked as one in terms of potentially alienating uh, some voters. I think probably much more so with the Child Victims Act than with the Reproductive Health Act. But I also think that popular opinion more broadly is clearly with the governor uh, on these issues. And and I also have a tendency to think that anywhere near the next time Governor Cuomo might be on a ballot, if he's ever on a ballot again, a lot of this will be in the past by then. And, you know, things come back up that opponents might use against you. People might remember some of this that didn't like it. But I think generally speaking, he's doing things that at least the polls show and common sense, I think, dictates are make a lot of sense. How about you? Uh, I agree. And I think we uh, now come to the part of the show where we shamelessly promote stuff on our own websites and force our listeners to go read it. Not much homework this week. I'm going to suggest they check out on our site. Uh, the Gowanus rezoning plan is emerged today. Uh, first official plan. And uh, we have an update on that. So I would definitely go check that out. Ben, on your site. Two things I'll highlight. One, uh, we just published this afternoon sort of a uh, list of the 10 burning questions that 
uh, are in the air and in the in the atmosphere after Governor Cuomo outlined his 2019 agenda. We sort of took in all the feedback and things that have happened since the governor gave his state of the state speech, and we've boiled it down to 10 burning questions. And the other thing is we published a deep dive into how some local businesses are reacting to the new $15 minimum wage that uh, employers have to pay their employees and, and sort of looking at the various issues involved with the new minimum wage. So you've been listening to Max and Murphy. Reggie Johnson is at the controls. Fort Indy does our theme song. We're back next Wednesday at five. Until then, have a great week. Go Patriots. Mm-hmm.